When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Next, on the OHIO podcast, Buckeye Boggs and the Wildman rank the top 10 best jobs in college football. They give their Mount Rushmore of the 1940s for Ohio State. They rank the top 10 returning wideouts in the Big Ten. Plus, Eric has an exclusive interview with Ben Davis from Dotting the Eye with Davis and Chad. And that all starts right now. It's so easy to be average. You know it as well as I know it. It takes a little something to be special, Don. It takes a little something special to be a great player. We don't have enough great players. To hell with that! We don't want to coach average. I don't want to be around you. Why be around average? We're proud of our young people in the classroom, in the community, and most especially in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on the football field. 3 things. Number one, the team that hits the hardest and the longest, the team that starts the fastest, and the team is too damn smart to make mistakes. If you take it to them, if you don't make mistakes, and you keep taking it to them, hell, there's no question who wins. Buckeye Podcast, by fans, for the fans, where they hate that team up north as much as you do. It's time for the OHIO Podcast. OHIO! Welcome back to the OHIO Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Buckeye Boggs, recording live from another absolutely gorgeous day in North Central Ohio, and I'm joined by my co-host from Marion, Chris Wilds. Chris, how's it going tonight, my man? Oh, like you said it, Eric, it's been a beautiful weekend, hadn't it? I mean, I haven't necessarily been able to enjoy it all, but let me tell you, it's it's been pretty awesome. Uh, you know, just excited. And hey, we're less than 100 days as we record. We're less than 100 days now from Buckeye football. So I think 90. Yeah, 90 days. Yeah, we were 90. Yeah, so that's exciting. It is exciting. You know what else is exciting? Our co-host, Sergeant MVP Aaron Brown, welcomed into this world a new brownie. Yes, A.J. Brown, his newest baby boy, was born, I believe, last Friday, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this couple days ago. So A.J. Brown is a part of this world. Welcome to the Buckeye family, and congratulations to Aaron and Heather Brown. 
I'm a little disappointed though, Eric. We gave him some great. We gave names. him some really good names. I think I offered uh, Buckeye. You said maybe Brutus, I believe. You know what? He he, he can redeem himself if the if the ink's not dry on the birth certificate yet. Let's go with AJ. Let's just make the middle name Hawk. Ooh, there you go. Th- this kid is destined to be a linebacker, is he not? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, mean, I love it. Austin's probably going to be a quarterback, but I'm thinking uh, AJ might be a, a middle linebacker someday. If you're not satisfied with pickup games and unranked matches, chances are you're aiming higher than most. At Spire, you'll train to be the best. Whether you're drawn to the pool, track, map, basketball court, or gaming controller, we provide the training you need to achieve your dream. Make our facilities your home or take advantage of free transportation services. Are you ready to unlock your potential? Visit SpireCleveland.com today. All right, we've got three interesting segments here before we go into commercial break and have an interview for all of you all. And let's just start with this because I was having a debate earlier this week with Nick Delanitis, and I thought this is just a debate that we need to have and just bring it right here to the show. We rank our top 10 jobs in college football, Chris. We'll go from 10 to number one. Give your the school and the reason why you feel it's it's in a top 10 and where it's at. I'll let you go first. Yeah, clearly the the, the favorite activity of the people on this part, podcast is to argue with Nick Delanitis. <laughs> because we had a rousing debate about the greatness of Michael Jordan over the weekend as well. So that, that was a lot of fun. But, you know. Anyhow, so yeah, this I, I love this activity. You know, when I was looking at this, I thought, well, you know, what really makes a job a great job to have? You know, obviously you want an established program or somebody who's really up and coming. You want somebody who's maybe got a, a legacy. You want somebody who's with the NIL dollars now. You maybe want somebody who's got some benefactors. Uh, and, you know, obviously you want some, some championship experience. So, I'm going to jump right in at number 10. I've got the University of Florida. I think they're in one of the hotbed areas for recruiting. Now, granted, they've had a little step back since since the days of Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, and national titles. But they are really a pretty good program still. And if they were in any conference except where they're at right now, they would probably have seen a lot more success in the recent years. So I've got Florida in at number 10. Um, number 10 for me, Boomer Sooner, Oklahoma. Um, they have a winning percentage overall of 728. They have a 573 bowl record, which is really, really good. Um, seven claimed national titles, seven Heisman winners, and 82 consensus All-Americans. Oklahoma is basically for the longest time, along with Texas and Nebraska, been kind of one of the big dogs and kind of I'll call them West, even though it's technically Midwest. Um, uh, recruiting is not as easy at Oklahoma as, as some of the other uh, hotbeds that I'm going to be mentioning here. But I love the love the history there. I think that that is a top 10 job. I don't know. It's it's obviously I don't think it's the top five. Um, or top six, which I will talk about, you know, when we get there. But I think Oklahoma definitely is a job worthy of the top ten, given all of those statistics that I mentioned and the fact that they are a blue blood and they seem to be very competitive every year. Four playoff appearances, they're 0 and 4 in those playoff appearances, 
but they are getting there. I think that means something. Number nine for you, Chris. I like this, Eric, because normally we're in lockstep, so we, we might have some differences here. I think we are. We're going to have some arguments later on. No, so number good. nine for me. Now, I know they haven't been great recently, but that team up north, they've got a great tradition. Um, you know, if you look back at the history and, you know, I think it is. I look at this as what I call an opportunity job. It's one that Harbaugh has squandered. Because, as you know, the Big Ten states are great for recruiting, especially when you're a running team like they want to have up there. Uh, So I think that the Midwest is a good area for recruiting, especially the type of football they play. I think they've got a rich tradition. I think that, uh, you know, I don't think they are. And I struggled with this. I struggled with them and Florida between nine and 10. I almost dropped them down. Um, but I've got them at number nine. Interesting. Cause I have neither Florida nor Michigan in my top 10 when it comes to jobs. Now, wow. now here's my argument with that, Chris. Okay. Hear me out. I think, especially with that team up North, Recency has to play a part of that. Yes, I understand they were in the college football playoff last year, but outside of that uh, championship that they split with Nebraska in the 90s, they've their last national championship was what, in the 40s? Yeah, something like that. So, okay, I understand you have all the history there, but that's what it is mostly, is history. But, but by that token, Eric, would then you say that until last year, Georgia didn't belong in the top 10? Almost, yes. But I will say when I get to Georgia later on, I think that there is a very significant difference on why I believe it is a top 10 job over Michigan. Okay, fair enough. Number nine for me. You went Florida. I sat here and debated which Florida school I was going to pick between Florida State, Florida, and Miami. I had a a, a raging debate with Nick Delanitis on then on this on this very topic, which Florida school should be in this top 10. And he convinced me, even though I tried to play the devil's advocate and say that they didn't deserve it, Miami is number nine for me. The U. I don't like that they don't have a stadium on campus. I don't like that their fan base seems to be very uh, fair-weathered. But when Miami's ticking, you got to admit, that is definitely a top 10 program. And it doesn't hurt that you're on South Beach, if you know what I'm saying. And Florida, like you mentioned, at, with Florida at number 10, the state of Florida is good at recruiting. I think Miami's a top 10 job. Number eight. Number eight, I went out west. I went with Oregon. Uh, you know, they've kind of, in these past recent years, they've really established themselves as kind of the cream of the crop as far as the Pac-10 goes, if there is a cream of the crop in the Pac-10. Uh, you know but they they are a very well respected national program Um, they've put some guys into the NFL Uh, you know they've produced some big time coaches so I got Oregon and eight okay so I I don't have Oregon in my top 10 either man that's okay you could be wrong I Outside of Nike, does Nike's money and the fact that they give you cool cool uniforms every week, I guess. That's is Oregon is Oregon 
outside of those two things, I just don't know that they've got enough going for them, man. So that's my argument against Oregon. But but I would say of the would you not agree? Now granted, I've got another big or another Pac-12 school obviously ahead of them. Oh, so do I. And I when we get to the Trojans, we're definitely good. You know, yeah, that's yeah. obvious. Yeah. All right, number eight for me, LSU. Um, I think LSU's got a couple awesome things about it that makes it a top ten program. Number one, the state of Louisiana is locked down for the most part with LSU. Now hopefully, uh, we can crack that and get. Um, uh, Tackett to to come and uh, get him away from the state of Louisiana and come play at Ohio State. Uh, the uh, I think it's Curtis Tackett, right? Or Tackett Curtis, something like that. The linebacker. Tackett Curtis. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we can get him away from the state of Louisiana. But for the most part, uh, the Bayou Bengals have that state on lockdown and they can get whoever they want in the state of Louisiana. It's not bad when it comes to high school football. Number two, night games at LSU. Awesome. The experience there has got to be one of the best night game experiences, according to people who have been there. And uh, Joe Burrow went there and won a national championship. Uh, They've won two in, I believe, the last, what, 15 years or something like that? 20 years, maybe? Something like that? In the last 20. So they're they're up there with Ohio State in those regards. Um, And uh, I think they have one of the better-looking uniforms, too. (laughs) It's not that that matters. But I just think LSU has got got some good stuff there to offer – uh, when it comes to being a top 10 school. Now, do you have them in your top 10? I actually do not. And why is that? Uh, you know, I just thought of the SEC schools I did put in this top 10, I felt that the three that I put in just had a little bit more going for them. With Florida specifically, it was a recruiting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the Bulldogs and we're going to talk about Alabama at some point. Um, and honestly, yes, I do think that, I think that LSU kind of, I look at them as, I kind of look at them now, granted they got more national titles, but I look at them as that the Michigan of the SEC. Ooh, Ooh, ouch. That's a, that's a dig, man. (laughs) Because, you know, they get that one or two time, one time a decade or whatever, where they, they come out and they put on a show and, and they may go out and win a national title, but you, you know, a lot of the time they're just average. Uh, you know, as far as the SEC goes, I mean, and maybe it's the fact that they got to take on, you know, Bama all the time. Maybe it's the fact they got to take on Georgia. I look at LSU is at best, at best, the third best team. In okay. Can, is, is, can I give you some stats on why I think you're wrong without you sure. getting mad? All right. Sure. LSU's winning percentage is 655. Florida's winning percentage is – I just had it up. Where to go? 630. So LSU's got them beat a little bit. It does. Florida's bowl record, uh, 24 and 23. LSU's bowl record, 29 and 24. So they got them beat there. National titles, LSU's got four. Florida's got three. So they got them beat there. I just think, and plus LSU, I think is, you know, well, of course we know they won the last one while Florida's been trying to rebuild there. So I don't disagree with you that LSU is probably the third best uh, team in the SEC, but I don't think Florida is above them. But, but given the current, well, first of all, let's talk location a little bit. Obviously, would you, would you rather spend your time in Gainesville 
or or swatting at the mosquitoes <laughs> in Louisiana. from the swamp. Yeah, yeah, that, that's all well and good. But, you know, I mean, if I'm a, a and granted, this is more of a, a standpoint of if I'm a kid looking to go to the school, I'm going to take Florida over LSU unless LSU's got something more to offer. And I think that I, this is the other thing. I think that given the current state of, and I know, they, they just brought Kelly down there to coach. That's great. I look at these programs as two that I think may be going in different directions. I don't know that Kelly's going to have there the Kelly's going to be the answer. I think I know, Florida is getting ready to be on the uptick. I truly okay. believe that. Okay. Number seven, moving on. Number seven for me. Yeah. It hurts me to say it. <laughs> go ahead. I'm going to go with Clemson here. Oh, we got one, right? <laughs> That's who yeah, I got. I'm going to go with Clemson here. I mean, obviously they've had the, the, National title runs with Trevor Lawrence. They've had, you know, Doofus Sweeney has had, you know, a pretty good, uh, pretty good record down there. Um, but you know what? What I saw last year out of Clemson. Oh, they regressed big time. And it makes me wonder just how much of it was. What you know, they were, there was always the debate in the NFL: was it Tom Brady or was it Bill Belichick? Was it Trevor Lawrence or was it Dabo Sweeney? Hmm. Hmm. I I really I I question it. I do. Um. So yeah, I've got Clemson at seven there. Clemson's new money to me, man. Yeah, they don't absolutely. Have, they don't have the history, and if Clemson takes another step back this year, then I have to wonder if, like you brought up, maybe maybe it had a lot to do with who the quarterbacks were. You know, in their national title runs there. Well, so. yeah. I mean, you had what uh, Lawrence, and you had Deshaun, and. Mm-hmm. Those are the two. Those are the two national championship quarterbacks, yeah. uh, other than when they won one back in like eighty something, like eighty two or eighty one, something like that. Yeah. So number six. Here's where, and I know you said you didn't think they were a top six program, Eric. I do. I got Oklahoma in here. Okay. Um, I think that they are right there among the the. You know, we have four teams, five teams that are consistently talked about as the playoff contenders. They are always there. Now, yes, you lost Lincoln Riley and that's huge, but you know what? All this school has done, like you said, is produce conference championships. All they have done is produce Heisman trophy winners. And I think that, you know, obviously they were a great catapult for Lincoln Riley getting to where he wanted to go. You know, he got that big money after coaching there. Um, yeah, I got Oklahoma. And, and, and they're a great tradition school as well. So I've got Oklahoma in there. All right. Here's where I'm probably going to make you go, huh? Number six for me is Texas. So interestingly enough, I you have Oklahoma at six, and I got their biggest rival, Texas, here. Now, I will be the first one to tell you Oklahoma has pretty much dominated over Texas in the last decade or more. But – I want to take into account the bigger picture here. All-time record of 703 as far as winning percentage, a 561 bowl record winning percentage, four national titles, most of them between 70 and before. However, they do have the one in 2005, which is you know now 17 years ago. 
But here's the difference between Texas and Oklahoma money and recruiting. Texas, if they ever can get this thing ship righted and they can dominate recruiting in their own state. Eric, they can't keep Ryan Day out of their state. I know that. I understand that. But if if they ever can let, – let's just hypothetically say – let's go back in history and say what if someone like um, – what if Satan went went to Texas to be the head coach, Nick Satan? Would he have done in Texas what he did in Alabama? I think he would have. Oh, I think I would agree with that. So they just have had a bad run of coaches, and they kind of need to get out of their own way and pick the top guy and just let him build it, build the program. You, like I said, they get their own uh, television station. They've got plenty of money. One of the biggest boosters. Uh, booster producing Didn't money. They actually shape. have to shut. Are one part of them going to the SEC? Are the agreement that they were going to shut down their station? Though it could be. I don't know. I don't know all the de- details to that. But all I know is that Texas, if they wanted to be, uh, could be one of the you know biggest NIL producing uh, schools out there. So I have here, them at number six. Here, here's my thing with Texas, and the only argument I got, I got for Texas, especially versus Oklahoma. Both these teams. Well, first of all, Texas can't win the Big 12, and they're going to go to the SEC. Not looking good, is it? If I'm a coach looking to go there, I don't consider this a top job. I mean, you're in what many people consider to be the top top conference. But I look at Texas, and I see Arkansas. I see Ole Miss. That's that's where I see Texas. If that's, I mean, they, there's no reason why Texas should be that. And you're right. They have been. So we'll see what happens, you know, under year number two of Steve Sarkeesian and what he can do there for the Longhorns. That, that should be a top 10 job in my opinion, in college football. It should be. You're right. Maybe I have them a little bit too high. Maybe I should flip Oklahoma and Texas and move Texas back to 10. But that, that job, if, if you asked me, Hey, what jobs would you want? I think Texas is is one of the jobs I would definitely have to consider. Let's do the top five now, Chris. All right, number five, I've got USC. I think USC is poised right now. They are in a, let's call it what it is, they're in a sorry conference that is waiting for somebody to come in and, and take that place over. They're, they're in a hotbed of recruiting. They have a great coach that just came in there. Who's really, I think going to turn this around. They have a very, very rich tradition. The Heisman's the bowl victories, the national titles. I think USC even being down going into this season is still a top five job. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I have them actually higher than you do, but number five for me, let's talk about those bulldogs from Georgia. Now, Georgia, to me, again, kind of new money, but it's got some old money there, too. Three national uh, – four national titles, I believe, or three, three claimed, 1942, 1980, and, of course, last year's 2021. Georgia, the state of Georgia, has some of the best high school football in the entire country. It ranks right up there with California, Texas, and Florida, and it has surpassed them in a lot of ways, in my opinion. Um Georgia is one of those jobs, I think, where you're playing in the SEC, what is it, East, I guess? East. So you have a pretty easy path. I mean, what's your competition? Tennessee, Florida. Florida. I mean, you know, 
crossover game LSU uh, one year and then probably Alabama another maybe year. Auburn. And, yeah, maybe Auburn. So I, I think Georgia has got a little bit of an easier path than the other SEC teams. I think they got great recruiting and they've got right now a ton of momentum. I think Georgia's a top five job. Number four, Chris. Just reiterate everything you just said. Okay. Uh, because I've got Georgia at four. Okay, interesting. I got Notre Dame at number four. Now, out of what I consider northern schools, I only got two of them. Notre Dame is is one of them. I think the Fighting Irish, and yes, I have Notre Dame ahead of LSU. So what's that tell you as far as a job? Notre Dame next to USC, Alabama, Ohio State has the richest tradition. They've not won a national championship in a long, long time. But I still think the prestige of Notre Dame is there. And if someone can go in there, and I think the right guy might be in there, I'm a little worried as an Ohio State fan that Notre Dame is going to become really good competition when it comes to recruiting. And if they can start to get their foothold in the Cincinnati Catholic schools and other other Midwest area schools that we typically have run the roost on, and now Notre Dame is able to do that in recruiting, I'm a, I'm a little worried about that. I think Notre Dame's a top four job, Chris. I've actually got a top three job, Eric. Mm. I think they are. I, I I think they're arguably the most iconic brand in college football. I would agree with that. They, you know, like you said, they have a very rich history. Uh, you know, they've got a beautiful campus. Uh, you know, I've had the the joy of experiencing a few games there at Notre Dame. Uh a great fan base. They really are a great fan base. Uh, you know, definitely as you looked at the NIL aspect of it, they have wealthy boosters. Yeah. They have an entire denomination of churches behind their backs. Correct. So, I mean, come I mean, on. They, they, everything about that job, like you said, the recruiting aspect of it, I think that you're right. I think we have reason to be concerned I think Marcus Freeman, you mentioned getting a foothold in the, the Cincinnati Catholic schools. He's got it there, man. He he, oh. he is already in there because of his time with Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Notre Dame right now is a top three job, and I think that you're right. I think they got the right guy in there to right the ship and potentially put them back on, on the hunt for a national title. Number three, I think, is USC. I'm, again, I'm not going to re- reiterate everything you said. I mean, they got 11 claimed national titles. Golly, that's a lot. 39 conference titles, uh, 80 consensus All-Americans, seven Heisman Trophy winners, like you said. They now got the big-name coach in Lincoln Riley. I think it's only a matter of time, and I I think they'll make a run at it this year where USC is trying to crack the college football playoff. So, again, I just think it's only a matter of time until the Trojans are in in the college football playoff discussion and probably cracking that top four. Uh, That means our top two, number two, Chris, it's either going to be Ohio State or Bama. Who you got at number two? I'll tell you. I've thought this one I was torn on. Obviously, if you look at the recent history of national titles, Bama should be in at number one. But I'll tell you what, Eric, I've got them in at number two. And I will tell you why. Um, first of all, and I know this jumps ahead to getting into the number one spot a little bit already, but 
you know, yes, they have the national titles at Bama, but Ohio State, I think, is overall a better program as far as I think we're on the uptick as long as far as recruiting goes. I think we are on the uptick where the assistant coaches go because I think we've got at least two future coordinators and maybe even head coaches on that staff right now. Uh, you know, we've been producing top tier NFL draft picks just like Alabama has. And I believe if you look overall, we've had more draft picks than Alabama has since the year 2000. Uh, I think our fan base is absolutely amazing. And again, when you talk NIL, I think there is a huge money difference in that booster base. And I think that eventually, the other difference is I think if Ryan Day were to say go to the NFL, yeah, we're going to hurt. But we've got guys like maybe Brian Hartline on that staff. We got people Luke like Fickle. Luke Fickle in the wings. Mm-hmm. Whereas when Nick Saban goes, I think that Alabama goes to hell. And don't, don't count out Marcus Freeman either. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we've got three guys right now who I'm this is going to tell you are chomping at the bit to get Ryan Day's job when he decides he's done with it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and not to mention you have someone like Eddie George yeah, I mean, what if Eddie George comes out in a couple of years and he's just absolutely an awesome coach? Yeah, if he if he's doing well and got he got his feet wet a little bit, and he he starts doing well, that's a very real possibility. You know what? What about what if Rabel ever you know has a out at, at Tennessee and decides to go back to the college game? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. could you imagine if Mike if Rabel won a Super Bowl and then all of a sudden he decides to be the Ohio State head coach? Yeah, I mean, it just. So, so many options. And I just don't think that Alabama has that. And I'll tell you, part of it is the fact that, yes, you've got the legacy of Paul Bryant. You now have the legacy of, of Nick Saban. Yeah. Yet that job is a – whoever gets it next is on a hot seat. And I, I'll tell you, whoever gets the job next doesn't last two years. Well, Guaranteed. look at what happened to Earl Bruce. Yeah. I mean, Earl Bruce was a doggone good coach. And this fan base, I mean, and in the in the athletic department, his, his only downfall was the fact that he wasn't Woody Hayes. Exactly. So, I mean, when you replace a legend like that, they say you want to be the person who replaces the person no, who you replaced don't. the legend. Yes. You know. So I'm with you. I've got Alabama number two, and I know people say if you're not a Buckeye fan, you're probably like, really, dude? They've got 18 national titles. It's the best program in college football. I will sit there now. and argue with the, with anybody about this, though. Yes, they do. Like I said, the accolades go to Alabama on the field. But if you're a coach looking for a job, that is not the job you want right now. I don't think so. I agree with you 100%, actually. And and this is not a college football podcast. I mean, it is, but this is the OHIO podcast. And you know what? I'm allowed to be a Ohio State fan and say they're number one, baby. So I'm going to say that job is the best. But I think you make absolutely make some really good arguments, Chris, on why Ohio State is the best job in all of college football, and I think I, I think you're right. All right, so what do you guys think? I mean, let us know. Send us an email. Uh, maybe we'll put our put our list together and, and put those on social media. 
let you guys all argue why or why not we are right or wrong. But uh, for the most part, there, Chris, we were pretty, pretty on par, on step with each other on and on the least. Well, once the top we got five. inside the top six. Yeah, uh, th- that first, those first ten, though, we were way off. That, but that's that's what I'm telling you. That shows the inconsistency beyond the top five, six programs in college football, right there. Yeah. All and right. I so, at it, like I said, I just looked at it as somebody as if I'm a head coach, where do I want to go? Beautiful, beautiful. All right, we're going to start something new. This is going to last us, I don't know, about probably six, seven weeks when we start to get into the two-a-days and really start tackling the Big Ten. But this this also stemmed from kind of what we did last week when we kind of put our our four our, our, um, uh, uh, quartet players together from different decades. And I thought, let's see if we can't also stimulate some more conversation on who the top four or the quote-unquote Mount Rushmore is from every decade beginning in the 1940s when Ohio State kind of put themselves on the map. Now, Chris, this is this it's it, it's it's going to get harder every single week. I've already done the research on some of this, and the list of names every single year on who deserves to be on that Mount Rushmore gets bigger and bigger and bigger every every decade. The only rule I have for this, Chris is that you have to graduate in that decade. So meaning if you graduated in 1950, but you played, you know, 1948 through 1950, you belong in the 50s. So it's got to be the last year that you played in that decade in order for you to be considered in that decade. Fair enough? I like it. And this is players only, no coaches, correct? Players only. Players only. And what we'll do is we'll go back and forth, and then and, and then when there's a disagreement, we'll debate it, and we'll see if we can't get each other to to come to a consensus during that debate on who deserves to be that Mount Rushmore. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Go first, man. You're number one. Who's your top guy here? Hands down, number one guy that deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore of the 1940s of Ohio State football. Well, come on. There was only one Heisman we had in the 1940s, Eric. Let's go with Les Horvath. I mean, he, yes, he only played 19 games between 42 and 44, but Horvath rushed 263 times. That's only 13.8 rushes a game, but he managed to rack up 1,405 yards thanks to a 5.34 per carry average, 17 touchdowns, the 1944 Heisman Trophy. Go with Horvath, number one. I do not disagree with you at all. He's number one. Number two for me, and I about guarantee he's on your Mount Rushmore of the 1940s as well. And that's someone who we honor every single season at Ohio the State Blocko. now with the Blocko, Bill Willis. He was the first African-American on the Ohio State team. So he broke the color barrier for the Buckeyes. He was a unanimous All-American in 1944. He was a first-team All-Big Ten uh, lineman in 1943. He was on the 1942 national championship team, and he's in both the NFL and college football Hall of Fame. And yes, he wore number nine, 99, but we honor uh, we honor someone who represents uh, a leadership on the team every year with the Block O jersey in honor of Bill Willis. I think he's got to be on the Mount Rushmore. What say you, Chris? I had him at number two as well, Eric. You know, like you said, three-time All-American, member of every Hall of Fame you could get into. And, uh, yeah, and it kind of seems fitting. Now, you know, we joked when that Block O jersey came out about what would it look like on a lineman. 
kind of fitting that it it was a lineman who a defensive lineman who was the inspiration for it. So yeah, absolutely, Jonathan Cooper, right? Yeah, Jonathan Cooper, Cooper was and defense, then and then Munford uh, on offense. There, Munford last year, and and the game he didn't get the dress and wear his normal jersey. He did wear that number zero out of the tunnel, which I thought was awesome. All right, Chris, here's where the debate's going to start. I already know it, so go with number three, man. Well, number three, I went with somebody who played 41, 42, and then again for in 46, and that's Chuck Surrey. Mm. First team All-American, MVP, team MVP during the 42 championship season. Hmm. Okay. Now, Chuck Surrey's a good one, man. Uh, All-American, team MVP, national champion. On that, he was the team MVP on that national championship team. I'm not going to disagree just yet because I'm going to say number three for me is Warren Amling, the team captain from 1946. Nice. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Listen to this stat, baby. He's the only College Football Hall of Famer to also start in an NCAA tournament game. Nice. Yeah. Dude was a super good athlete, and here's the difference between Amling and Sur and Surrey. Amling was a two-time All-American in 1945 and 1946. So, if was Warren Amling your fourth guy? He actually would have been fifth for me. <gasps> Ooh, so your third and my third are different and you don't even have amling in your top four who's your fourth guy then we need to get this debate rolling here so let me tell you he's a member of the 42 championship team and let me tell you he only played seven games but the stats were just so tremendous it's seven games for me I, i i had to put him on there and that was tight our uh, wide receiver slash tight end Bob Shaw. Hmm. Now see, I thought of passes in only 17 games, a 27.9 yard per catch average, Eric. 27.9. But they didn't throw the football, man. It was a shocker. Exactly. It was a shocker when that happens. I mean, exactly. This I, guy was out there catching, you know, nearly three passes a game going for 474 yards and a 27.9 average in an era where they don't play football or don't throw the ball. Mm, okay. So, so I'm going to get you to change your mind. Okay. And here's what okay. I'm going to do, because I, I think there's a couple other names that we could mention. Jack Duggar, 1944, all American yeah. Bill Hackett, who was on the national championship team in 1942 and was a first team all American in 1944. But I'm going to say, I will agree to go with Chuck Surrey if you agree to go with Warren Amling as your fourth. Absolutely. Okay. That's a good trade-off. All right. So that, that debate ends and there we have it guys. Those are our four, our first Mount Rushmore of the 1940s, Les Horvath, Bill Willis, Chuck Surrey, and Warren Amling are our, 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 Oh, Mount Rushmore football players of the 1940s. We'll be doing the 1950s the next time we get together and record. So be on the lookout for that. All right, Chris, before we take our commercial break, last week we talked about the top 10 returning 
Um, I guess it was running backs in the Big Ten. This week, we're going to talk about the top 10 returning receivers. And the way we've been doing things lately, we've been doing some disagreements. I'm wondering if we're not going to be way different on this list. I because think could be. I think there's obviously a consensus number one. And after that, you could probably throw about 15 guys' names in a hat. And who ends up being number two could be a crapshoot, in all honesty. Buckeyes, Eric. Yeah. Now, how many did you put on your list, in all honesty? In all honesty, I have four. What? Four? I do, I just because I think the receivers wow. Big Ten, the the greats that we did have. I mean, we haven't we had some greats over the last few years. Guys like uh, Bell at Purdue, guys like uh, Dotson at Penn State. These guys have moved on. And you know, I, I and you know what? Ohio State's not the only team that's got multiple receivers on there. Okay, no, I, I agree. I have I have two from Ohio State, um, and I've got actually I've got two from three other teams. So that means basically eight of the top ten guys are coming from four teams. Yeah, in the Big Ten this is how I got it. Now, but here's the, here's the thing. Okay, I I got I gotta throw some shade back to you, Chris. There's no way you can have four, and I'll tell you why. There's only one football. And you know Ohio State is going to want to establish the run this year. It's, I, I think to me, season. Eric, it's more about what I didn't see from other teams than it was what I did from Ohio State. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, here we go. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to go first in this exercise? I'll let you choose. Uh, you know what? I always go first. Eric, let's let you go first. All right, number 10 for me. He's a senior. He's been had a lot of injuries. And last year, he only had one catch for 76 yards. We're going to the state up north and saying Ronnie Bell is the number 10 returning guy. Um, as a junior, before he got injured his senior year, he had 26 carries for four, 26 catches for 401 yards and a touchdown, a 15.4 average in 2020. That was a 2020 shortened season. I think U of M only played six games that year. So that would, you know, translate to somewhere around 800 to 900 receiving yards and about three or four touchdowns that junior year. And of course, last year he had that one big catch for 76 yards for a touchdown before he got hurt. And his season was ended shortly. He's healthy. He's going to come back. I don't think he's the top target in that offense, but I think he's definitely one of the top targets. And I think he'll have somewhat of a bounce back year. That's number 10 for me, Chris. Okay. So l- let me address this. A lot of guys that were, that saw injuries, just like with the, you know, we, we had this argument last week with the, yep. the running backs. I did not get a lot of give a lot of love to guys who had injuries. Now there is one coming back from injury who did make the list. Okay, and it, does he play? Is he is he a turtle? Yeah, he is. Okay, thank you. Because I was about to go ape crap on you if he do, he was not on your list. Oh no, he's definitely on the list. Okay, all right, I'll 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 let you go for that then. Number ten, baby. Okay, number ten, and this one's gonna shock you, Eric. And I don't know if I don't know if he's gonna make. Big bones as a receiver this year. But you know what? I think he needs to be in the conversation because we've heard so much about him. And that's Jade Ballard. I really think he's going to see the field a little bit because I think we're going to have a lot of mop-up duty. Um, yeah, that's a good point. That's actually a really good point, Chris. I, I think he sees the field because we're going to see a lot of mop-up duty. Uh, you know, like I said, I've got four Ohio State receivers on this list. and arguably. You know, that's that's too many. It really is. 
But just as you mentioned, this is the OHIO podcast. And if I want to be a homer, I can be a homer. That's right. <laughs> but no, I mean, very seriously, I think that this kid has a lot of potential and they're going to have to find a way to get him on the field. Now, I think the majority of his time is probably seen on special teams. But you know what? I think the, that the mop-up duty is going to be there, and I think he's going to put together a nice little season. And when it comes bowl season, if we are not competing for that national title, which I would absolutely lose my mind about, you can bet that at least one of those receivers is probably not playing. Probably, yeah. And we may see a breakout like we saw a little bit from a guy who's later up on the list. So for Fair. me, I got Ballard at 10. Fair enough. Give me an over-under on receiving yards in your mind for him this year. I'm going to say in the area of 350. I, was, I, I can see him go. I'll take the over. Maybe even 400, yeah. I'll still take the over. Really? You think, okay. Yeah. I can see that. Like I said, it's going to be a lot of mop-up lot of mop up duty, but I can yep. see it. All right. Number nine for me, he's also a senior, and that's Chris Autumn Bell from Minnesota. 36 yard, uh, 36 receptions for 506 yards and six touchdowns, a 14.1 average last year. Um, I had to find someone who didn't play for uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Maryland, or Penn State for this list. He's the guy. He's got a returning fifth-year senior quarterback. I think Minnesota has very high expectations on actually winning the West. Most of the teams out West don't even throw the football. Uh, they like to run the football more in Wisconsin and Iowa, obviously. Um, and then, of course, the big-name receiver who played for Purdue is no longer there. He's off the team. Uh, he was a, definitely a top three Yeah, he was a top receiver, ten guy. And he's gone. And so I think Chris Autumn Bell takes that position of the guy out West who is going to get love. He's the only receiver that plays in the West that I have in this list, the only one. Okay, and, and you know what, Eric? I just I couldn't bring myself to pick a Minnesota receiver because I think, like you said, I think they, as much as Fleck loves, I think, to throw the football and open things up, I think they are a running team, especially uh, with the guys they've got between Ibrahim returning and, and the what I think is going to be a two-and-a-half-headed monster, we'll call it up there at Minnesota. They are the um, most balanced offense in the West, though. They, they they should have. But the other thing is, I just cannot bring myself to to, to put somebody on the list who has their entire receiving staff having, you know, a hyphenated last name. <laughs> okay. I got you. I follow you. I, I pick, I'm picking up what you're putting down there. Nice play. Nice. Play. Okay. So number nine for me, I'm going to go to that team up North here. Uh, you know, we all know Michigan is a run oriented team. Even with Haskins gone, that's not going to change. So I don't see any loser in getting a ton of opportunity to shine as a receiver. If there's one that can, I, I can't go with the injury or returning from injury, Ronnie Bell. So I'm going to go with Cornelius Johnson. Last season, 40 catches, 627, three touchdowns. You know, I think their primary target, though, isn't going to be a receiver. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the tight end in Eric All. Okay. Um, fair, but, fair. yeah, I, I think that, honestly, uh, of the receiving staff, I would go with Cornelius Johnson. All right. I have him a little higher on my list than you. That's all right. Number eight for me. Uh, let's go over to Penn State. He's a transfer. He's a senior transfer. 
Mitchell Tinsley. This dude tore it up at uh, Western Kentucky, the Mountain um, Hilltoppers. He had 87 catches for 1,402 yards, 14 touchdowns, 16.1 average. Um, now, obviously, that's against lesser competition. He's going to have to do it, step it up a big time level in the Big Ten. But I think Penn State is actually going to throw the football a lot because I, as we learned last week, I don't have any confidence in their running game. I think they're going to be throwing a lot because they might be behind a lot. Mitchell Tinsley's number eight for me. I think he's going to get plenty of opportunity. Yeah, Eric, uh, I'm with you. I actually have him slid in here at the same spot as well. So not going to, not going to beat a dead horse. I think Penn state actually has a pretty, pretty solid duo receiver. So I've got Tensley in it uh, eight as well. I, I agree with that comment. And here's uh, speaking of duos, here's the, the guy I'm most, uh, most high with, with JSN for the Buckeyes. And that's sophomore Marvin Harrison jr. I have him at number seven. He only comes into the season with 11 catches for 139 yards and three touchdowns. However, the majority of that was in the Rose Bowl. And so uh, he showed when given the opportunity, he was ready. And that was as a freshman. Now he's a sophomore. He's had another offseason under his belt. And, that, and there is a lot of buzz around this guy, Chris. I don't know if you saw the video where he chased down the ball from the ball jug, where he literally ran faster than the ball in the ball jug. That was incredible. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to have a huge season, in my opinion. Uh, look for uh, MHJ to be lined up across from JSN and just giving Big Ten secondaries nightmares all season long. Yeah, I've actually, we'll talk about him again in a few minutes. I got him up a little higher than that. So number seven for me, I went with the other half of that Penn State duo. I went with Parker Washington. Uh, you know, solid year playing second fiddle to Dotson last year. 64 catches, 824 scores. Uh, you know, I don't see any reason he can't duplicate or even improve on this effort. I think, you know, Clifford's got a great pair of weapons there. Uh, and like you, I think that the passing game is going to be huge at Penn State this year because, like you, I do not have any confidence confidence in their run. All right, number six for me, you you had him a little higher, and that is uh, senior Cornelius Johnson from U of M. Last year, 40 catches, 627 yards, only three touchdowns, a 15.7-yard average. Uh, again, I have him there just because I think he leads U of M and I think U of M with their soft schedule is going to, it's going to make him look like he's, you know, better than what he probably really is until he, they come to Columbus. So Cornelius, Cornelius Johnson's number six for me. Number six for me, Homer alert, Homer alert. Here we go again. Uh, I've got a Mecca Egbuka. you know, we saw some flashes last season and, I believe this is going to be a breakout season for Igbuka, much the way it was for Smith and Jigba last year. Uh, don't be surprised, I think, if we have three Buckeyes flirting with 1,000 yards again this season. Even though we are really going to push that run game, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Number five. All right, here we go. Love this guy. Was I think he's just an amazing talent. It was when that injury happened last year, I was sick to my stomach. Senior Dante Demas Jr. from Maryland. He only had 28 catches, but in those 28 catches, Chris, 
at last season. He had 507 yards, three touchdowns, and a Big Ten leading 18.1 yards per catch. The dude was electric when the football was in his hands. Um, I'm not sure how good he's going to be on the return from injury, but if he's even if he's 75% of what he was last year, he's still probably a top five wide receiver in the Big Ten. I agree. That's why I've got him at number five as well. And, and Eric, let me tell you, you, you didn't mention this. He did that 500 yards, like you said, 28 catches. And, and, and Eric, he did it in just over four games. That's that's pretty monstrous number-wise if you think of how that production would have went out over a 12-game season. Yeah. I mean, this guy was on pace to, to you know put up. 12, 1300 yards, maybe more, and and snag, you know, darn near 100 catches, 12 yeah. touchdowns. I mean, th- this guy w- is, is tremendous. If he comes back from injury healthy, this guy's not only top five on the list, this guy could be top three on the list. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's probably a future. He's, he, the injury gonna, is going to worry the NFL, but if he comes back and has a monster year, he's probably a first-round draft pick. Number four for me, you had him a little lower. That's Penn State's Parker Washington. 64 catches, 820 yards last year, four touchdowns, a 12.8 average. Again, I think Washington, along with Tinsley, is one of three best pairings in the Big Ten, along with what Maryland's got and Ohio State. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all there. Um, For me, number four, I actually uh, went to uh, Michigan State. I got Jalen Reed. Uh, Led the Spartans last season, 59 catches, 1,026 yards, 10 TDs. I think he's likely to duplicate those numbers, uh, Eric, especially possibly even improve him a little. Now, I know you're high on the transfer kid to Michigan State. You're thinking this could be the next uh, Kenneth Walker. Uh, But, you know, I I think they're going to have to throw the ball a little bit, and I think uh, Reed can put up some big numbers this season. Yeah, I agree, actually, and he's he's a little bit higher on my list. Number three for me is Rakeem Jarrett from Maryland. Um uh, Dante, I got Dante at number five. I got Rakeem at number three. He had 62 yards, 800, sorry, 62 catches, 829 yards and five scores, a 13.4 average last year for Maryland. Uh, of course, a lot of that was due to the fact that Dante got hurt. You put Rakeem and Dante together, man, man, that is a, that is a potent one, two punch at receiver only, only behind Ohio state in all honesty and and there might be games where they you could argue that they might be going into the season at least with experience better than what Ohio State has. I don't think it is. I think Ohio State's going to prove to have the best wide receiving uh, room once again in all of college football. But Maryland, gosh dang that that's a that is one heck of a receiving tandem right there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Number three, I wanted somebody who you had down the list a little bit, and that was Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, you know, we saw the flashes last season. He had a bit of a coming out party at the Rose Bowl. You know, we've seen all the footage from this spring, like you said. I think I think the kid goes again. I think we we get three three receivers near a thousand yards. 
And I'm telling you, with this the, the skill, I think we could see double-digit touchdowns out of this kid this year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Man, he's going to be a problem in, in the in the red zone for uh, defenses. Number two, this is where I've got Jaden Reed from Michigan State. You mentioned it. He went over 1,000 yards. Him and Najigba, the only two coming back in the Big Ten, uh, unless you want to add Tinsley from uh, Western Michigan, who's going to be at Penn State, to that list. Um, 10 touchdowns, 17.4 yard average, uh, second best in the Big Ten to only Dante Demas Jr. Um, dude is going to be probably a top, I would say, at least a second round pick or better um, if he just continues to do what he did last year. And I think he's probably going to improve on that a little bit. I got him at number two. Number two, this is where I got Rakeem Jarrett. I'm really excited about this kid. I think that uh, obviously you mentioned it, 62 catches, 829, five touchdowns last season. I think we're going to see an even better season this year as, as you team him back up with, with Dante Demas. Not only that, but Demas is going to take some of that pressure off of him. They're going to have to cover both guys. They can't just focus on one anymore. So, uh, yeah, I, I see Jarrett having a big season this year. I look for him to go over a thousand yards, maybe get up to that eight to 10 touchdown mark. Uh, you know, I look for Maryland to have a much improved year this year. Yeah, they're dangerous. I think they're dangerous. I think they're, yeah. I think they're a very dangerous team. I agree. N- number one, obviously, right? It's JSN, Jackson Smith, and the Jigba. How can you, any, how could anybody in their right mind not put him number one? 95 catches, 1,606 yards. 19 touchdowns, a 16.9 average, and a and a Rose Bowl record game that we might not ever see in our lifetime ever again, Chris. Yeah, and let's face it, the kid is barring, and, and God forgive me for even saying this, barring any kind of injury, this kid is the number one receiver off the the boards this yeah. next year. Yeah, he's the number one receiver in college football. And, Easy. And, and let me just tell you, do you know why he's not the number one overall draft pick? Because C.J. Stroud will be. Because <laughs> another Buckeye's going to do it? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a very good chance that they both end up in New York well, when the Heisman's uh, being presented, and that's something that Ben Davis and I uh, are going to talk about. Uh, and so Ben Davis from Dotting the I with Davis and Chad is going to join us next. After the short commercial break, we're going to catch up with him, uh, what's going on in his life, what he thought about the offseason so far, what his expectations are going into next season, and what you can uh, expect from he and Chad when it comes to the Dotting the I podcast. Um, They'll be coming back for season number three, so he teases that as well. So be sure to hang around after the short commercial break for this great interview that I had with Ben. The OHIO Podcast is brought to you by Mastermind. Mastermind specializes in 360-degree high-definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. And welcome back to the OHL podcast, everybody. And I got a special guest for us. He is Ben Davis from the Davis uh, from the, the Dotting the I podcast with Davis and Chad, man. So Davis, welcome back, man. It's been a while. I appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know we got to you know have that one episode way back, and uh, it was a blast, man. I know me and Chad were kind of going at it a little bit, but uh, don't get a chance to really get on these very much without Chad. Actually, I think this might be the first time for me. 
Really? Well, well, hey, man, we'll pop that cherry and call it a win. So uh, absolutely. Man, I tell you what, we got so much to catch up on. And I, I tell you, I, I, I don't say this to feed your ego, but if it does, by all means, let it. I miss your guys' podcast, man. You, you guys, I know you guys are taking some time off. You've, you've had life happen. And by that, I want to say congratulations to the both of you for the new babies in your guys' life. That's awesome. Congratulations. I know Aaron's is going to be any day now. In fact, by the time we record this thing comes out, Aaron might have baby number three. So we're all about, you know, getting those baby buck guys born and, and, and getting them in the shoe. You know what I'm saying? But um, I miss your guys' podcast, man. So maybe you can update everybody on, on, on what's been happening with you and Chad and, and what the plans are. Okay. First of all, thanks uh, for the congrats. Uh, yeah. Um, anyone listening out there, uh, don't have a baby when you're almost 40. Um, <laughs> it, it's a lot harder to try to get through the evenings and the middle of the night. And by the time you get home from work and then you got a six-year-old that wants to play all day. So, you know, that's my little, uh, you know, public service announcement, you know, try to have them a little sooner. Don't wait till you're almost 40. But anywho, um, yeah, we're, we're the initial goal when we started dotting the eye with Davis and Chad was kind of just, you know, the season. And then after we did this past season, our second season, we really wanted to have an off season where, you know, it wouldn't be every week, maybe like once or twice a month and talk about more fun topics that you don't really get a chance to talk about during the season. And, you know, I had a kid back in November and Chad had one um, not too much longer before that. So mix that with, you know, um, he moved last year and, you know, we've just had a million things going on. So the intent is to still in the future have some off-season stuff and have it be a little more laid back. And, you know, we were even toying with some ideas of, you know, starting to have some callers or, you know, invite other people on the show and make it pretty lively. So the intent is there and it will be there. But I assure all of you guys that we will be back uh, for this season upcoming and – Man, I don't know about you, but I'm super excited about the season. I feel like I say that every year, but this year just kind of feels different for some reason. It really does. And I'm going to dive in and we're going to dive into that in just a minute, because I think there's specific things that you and I probably need to talk about about that difference of feeling. But but my first question is, is, and, and, and this is kind of looking back and kind of tying a bow on the 2021 season from your perspective and from your podcast perspective. And this has been a question I've been asking people and I've gotten some different responses from. Them. I'm interested to hear what you say. Did the 2021 Buckeyes meet your expectations as a fan? Um, No, it didn't. And I think predominantly the reason why. And I, I understand, you know, we lost to Michigan for the first time and. Uh, a decade and we didn't get to the big 10 championship game. And there's a lot of things that we didn't get along the way, but it just felt like a gut punch week in and week out watching the defense. And I've told Chad this before, and I've told a lot of other people, you know, it's one thing if you struggle offensively, but to continue to struggle defensively, it feels like it takes your manhood away. So I wasn't proud of this team, even though I know they still accomplished a lot. We still run uh, won a Rose bowl, one ten games, had a Heisman finalist, you know, uh, had a record-breaking offensive uh, season this year. But it just it felt like a gut punch this this year. And of course, then you throw that Michigan loss in there, it made it feel even worse. So it definitely did not meet my expectations. Fair enough, very good. And I'm guessing, based off of of what you have read in the off season and the the little tease you gave me, 
you're feeling much better about that defense this offseason, yes? I am. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons to feel, you know, I'm not going to come out and say it's going to be night and day uh, because there was a lot to fix. But, you know, I feel like uh, Ryan Day really took this seriously, and I think he took it personally. Um, the way the defense was, the way the media portrayed the defense, the way the fans felt about the defense, uh, the way his his own eyeballs saw the defense. And I really think that he's taken this seriously to where um, this is the first step in completely overhauling and making this defense I wouldn't say the defense of old because it's a different game we play in now. Sure. But it's going to be a defense that is going to be comparable to the offense because I feel like the offense was on a completely different level than the defense. I've been saying all offseason that if Ohio State can become a top 25 defense. Right. That's good enough to win a national championship based off of this offense. It is. It is. And it's not just uh, I think the biggest issue is just, um, you know, everyone's kind of gives crap a lot to. Well, you know, we haven't had the best pass rush and, you know, our DBs are getting beat over the top. Like the linebacking court is the glue that holds it all together, in my opinion, because if you're not stopping the run, then you have to bring other people up to help stop the run, which puts pressure on the DBs and Vice versa, if you're constantly going over the top, then you're dropping the linebackers more back into coverage, and then it opens up the run game. But the linebackers can really start gelling and filling out the role and you know, kind of doing what we would expect Ohio State linebackers to do, then the rest is going to fall into play, in my opinion. I agree, and I also think that this defense, this Jim Knowles defense, the more I study it, the more tape I watch – and I know Aaron feels this way just by the the snippets that he and I have discussed about this defense. He is so creative on things that it, it number one, it confuses the opposing offense's quarterback. But number two, it is designed, even though it doesn't maybe appear as such, it's designed to stop the run because you have these safeties, these hybrid safeties that are basically extra linebackers in, in, a, in a way when it comes to the running game. And so even though it, it is it appears to be a 4-2-5, it very quickly becomes a 4-4-3. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't wait to see that because it's uber aggressive. And I think that was one of the things that I if there's anything I I can point at as saying we have lost since the middle of Urban Meyer's tenure, it has been in that aggressive defense. It's just I, not been there. It's been so it's been so like reactive instead of proactive. Oh yeah. I, I completely agree. I can't tell you how many times I would go back because I'm the person that like once a game is over, I kind of let it settle, but then I'll find myself a day, two days, three days later going back and watching the game again because I record everything. You know, I can watch the highlights on YouTube and whatever, but I go back and I constantly watch it. And it's not like I'm necessarily analyzing the game, but it's kind of like I need to take a step back and watch it again and watch it again. And every time I watch it, I'm kind of watching something different. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times that I saw the defense just look lazy or not aggressive or out of place or just you know it it was it seemed like small things that could be fixed and it wasn't like i don't know it's really hard to explain because there were so many things that were wrong with it that it's hard to put your you know your finger on one thing that could have changed it um you know i think at some point uh, in the middle to later part of the season i think the aggressiveness improved 
Um, I thought they were playing a little more confident, but the problem was I still think too many of them were lost. So when they saw something they weren't familiar with, they didn't know what to do. And as, you know, like teams like Michigan and even, you know, Utah exposed it a lot too. You know, they threw in some things there that they knew were our weaknesses and it, it got exploited. You know, something simple enough when we play teams like, you know, Michigan State, they didn't exploit it. So that's why it kind of fooled people in thinking that. So I, I agree. I think that, you know, Jim Knowles is really coming in and I have a lot of confidence that we're going to see a different team. Cause I mean, we're not, we don't have a ton of new defensive players, you know, they're going to be a lot of the same ones that kind of plug and play. Um, if you can even remember how bad our defense was in 2018 and then we turn around 2019 and have one of the best defenses in the country with right. almost the same players. Right. So I, I, I think, I think the coaching staff when Ryan day came in place, you know, that had a lot to do with it. It is well, but you know, one of the things, you know, you mentioned, and I, and I, I went back is actually funny. We, we went back and uh, some friends and I, we started watching some of the old DVR games, some of the better ones we had, you know, mm-hmm. anyways, one of the things that really upset me when you go back and you watch the season when you will not see 11 guys running to the ball on defense a lot. Oh, so yeah. when, when you brought up the word lazy, I think that's actually a very accurate description of exactly what was taking place. And you go up, you go back and just for if you're listening to this, people, seriously, go back. If you have the ability, watch the first half of the Rose Bowl defensively and the second half of the Rose Bowl defensively. And you will see a completely different team when it comes to just effort. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's something that. Knowing knowing older coaches like I do, that's one of the things that absolutely irks an older coach is effort. If they don't see the effort, they will pull your butt out of the game. Oh, I totally see Jim Knowles being that way. Just just on the little bit I'm getting from him and kind of the old school mentality that this defensive staff seems to have now. There there's gonna be a I don't care what name is on the back of your jersey. If I don't see that effort, you're coming off the field. And I love that. Bring it. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, what did we give up? Maybe 10 points in the second half against Utah? You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't many. I know we give a few yards, but, you know, in the first half, you, you have a quarterback just trying to run for a first down and a fourth down, and he breaks like six tackles and runs <laughs> runs into the house. I mean. Never should that, happen, man. <laughs> that, looked, that looked like flag foot. That looked like my six-year-old playing flag football. Yeah. You know, it was terrible. I mean, letting a kickoff return. I mean, I know the guy is a, a great returner, but you're Ohio State. I'm sorry. You don't let that stuff happen. No, you don't. You absolutely don't. So so what are some of the offseason maybe things that you've noticed that have excited you to give you that excitement that you talked about when it comes to the start of this season? Um, I think the first thing is obvious you know obviously we've talked about it with Jim Knowles coming in and I know we've had some other uh, coaching um, changes in there as well with our O-line coach and I think our DB coach uh, he's from what Cincinnati yeah one of them yeah but you know we've we've heard a lot of positive things from him, and that's great mm-hmm. you know I'm still going to reserve uh, some of my judgment obviously until I can start seeing this on the field but I feel like my excitement comes from you know, I, I almost hope that like my energy, my fandom somehow like is mimicked by the players energy. I don't know if that makes sense, but like yeah, it does. Yeah. But like it's like, you know, losing to Michigan for the first time in a decade. That's got to light a fire under your ass. It Better. has to. <laughs> and 
And it's almost kind of like, you know, we did that with Clemson, you know, that tough loss. And then we vow that whole entire next year and actually get a chance to play him and had a great our best game of the season against him. You know, I'm kind of hoping that that is going to be our driving force that really pushes us through the season, you know, and um, I think just, you know, the the shame that the defense probably felt from last year and all the crap that they got, you know, they have something to prove. So and I'm really hoping they come out on fire. So the defense, obviously, but I really think that we got some really good young players that are now going to step up and finally get some good leadership. Because, I mean, one thing that we haven't talked about in a lot uh, lately is all of the craziness that happened during that season with like, you know, departures and people leaving and maybe it being a little bit of a me culture instead of an us culture throughout the season. Sure. And I'm really hoping that we now get some younger guys that are going to step up and lead this team. I mean, we're already seeing it with, uh, you know, some of these guys are doing a really good job in helping us recruit. Um, I think we've gotten some good recruits by, you know, just some of the players that we have that are helping us. Um, but I really hope that some of these guys really stand up and take control of this team because, you know, what, what I'll, I'll ask you this. What's the last real big player that you can remember that was just a hell of a team leader? Uh, Justin Fields was Fields he, was pretty good, but he was not as vocal as as you would normally think. He was still kind of a quiet guy. I mean, JT Barrett is what I can't get it out of my head. It's JT Barrett. JT Barrett was one of the best team leaders that I can remember. Now, whether you like him, love him, indifferent, I thought he was a hell of a team leader. All of the players loved him. Uh, he was fiery, um, and I mean, last time we won a national championship, he was, uh, you know, on the team. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of a linebacker. My mind immediately goes to a linebacker. But mine and is I'm, like back Bobby Carpenter, AJ Hawk. Like and, I'm thinking, it, is it, was it Laurinaitis was the last yeah. linebacker that you and saw on the sideline riding, lighting a fire into every, the defense? That's butt. still like, what, 16 years ago? It's been a while. It's been, yeah, you know, it's been since like 20, 2006 or something. I mean, there were some good linebackers, though, on that, that 2014 team, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, it's hard to think back on, on those, you know, that back then and think defense because of the run that Zeke had, you know, on the offensive side of things. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And it's, it's you know, I at times I thought Haskell Garrett was that guy last year, but it was it was he kind of fell off a little bit. Yeah, he kind of fell off. He, he got hurt and it's really it, it really just deflated his season. And I think it really hurt his draft stock, as we saw. But right. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question, man. All right, Answer this question for me. Go ahead. Ohio State wins the national championship in 2022 because. I want to say defense, but I'm not going to sound like a broken record. So I'm going to go a little bit different. Okay. And and I think it's still something that needs to be addressed. But I think if we're more balanced on offense, um, I think that we're going to get all we want through the air. And that's fine. But we have got to establish that running game because we still struggled in the red zone quite a bit. And once you're down in that area of the field, you've got to run the ball. We constantly got in third and threes and fourth and ones, and we got stopped a handful of times last year. And we have got to get better at running the ball. I'm not saying that we were bad at running the ball, but we were not as balanced. And it didn't matter that we led the country in yards per game and points per game and total offense and all that. 
you know, if we're doing 75% pass and 25% run, you're not balanced enough. And when you play these tougher teams and they really pinch you in, you've got to be able to run the ball. So I think we win the national title this year if we are more balanced offensively. I've set the bar at two and a half players getting invited to New York for the Heisman. You going over or under? It's got to be under, man, because I don't think that's ever happened. I mean, maybe Alabama did it one time with three players, but wouldn't that be wild? It would be. And and I'm not saying it wouldn't be deserving either, but they split. They're going to split votes, you know, and it just. How wild would it be, though? I mean, that would be unbelievable. I have this theory that I've worked up in my mind for this season that Notre Dame is going to watch that Rose Bowl game over and over and over again, and they're going to come out thinking we've got to stop Jackson Smith Majigba, we've got to start Mar- stop Marvin Harrison Jr. in this passing game, and Travion Henderson just blows them up in the running game, and that catapults him to the lead for Heisman. Oh, absolutely, and I, I don't think you're too far off from what realistically is probably going to happen in that game because, um, you, you got to think even though I know it's a big time game. You know, Ryan Day's still not going to pull out all the stops that early in the season unless you really absolutely have to. So he's not going to open up too much of his creative passing stuff because he knows that. I mean, he's going to find what weaknesses Notre Dame has and exploit them as best he can. But I agree. I think Travion Henderson is probably going to be our best hope at a Heisman. And let me explain why is because um, we're going to get into a lot of blowout games. This season, I really honestly believe it. I mean, hell, what we got eight home games and yeah. we have a very favorable schedule this year with the tough games being at home. Uh, start with five straight home games. Even Penn State's noon. We learned this week. I know that's crazy. I can't believe they're doing the wideout with Minnesota. But anyway, they got to win one eventually, I guess. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, just glad it wouldn't be against us. They, they're sure. If you want to do it this year against Minnesota, go ahead and take them out. That's fine with me. But. You know, I, I I don't think that, you know, he's going to get the stats that he did last year. And even if he plays well, I mean, it, it's so hard to follow up a year like that. If you look at what Justin Fields did, Justin Fields had a better fre- uh, sophomore year or his retro freshman year, I guess you call it, than he did the other one. Statistically now, of course, you know, it was a shortened season because of COVID. But right. I think he played better his first year, in my opinion. Then he did that second year. Now, of course, he could have been a little bit banged up and they were out of sync. But I think it's really hard to follow up a year like that. So I really feel like that Trayvon Henderson is probably going to be our best bet to win the Heisman because if we're getting these blowout games, um, he's going to be getting uh, maybe a little bit more of these carries, um, you know, about midway through, try to save. Because I, I think to Coach Day, the more important thing is to keep uh, Stroud healthy. And he feels like, you know, if we can try to get him out of harm's way as early as possible um, and get some of these other quarterbacks in. And, of course, once you get them in, you know what Ronde does, hand the ball off, hand the ball off, hand the ball off. So I think that's probably our best bet. Beautiful. I know I've kept you a little bit later than I promised here, but I got one more question for you. What does it mean to you to be a Buckeye? Ooh, that's a good question. What does it mean to me? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I grew up in Columbus, so it wasn't like I had a choice <laughs> to start when I was younger, <laughs> you were which is fine, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, you know, I guess I'm lucky 
you know, to be a Buckeye fan. That's probably the best way to put it because I could have been born anywhere. I could have been born in Tennessee. I could have been born in Kentucky. I could have been born in Utah. I mean, but I was born in Columbus, Ohio. So by luck, I got a chance to grow up and be a fan of arguably one of the best programs in the history of college football. And there's just something about seeing the scarlet and gray that, you know, always puts me in a good mood. I could be just walking by and just see something of the same color and boom, I automatically think Ohio state. And I'm like, okay, Hey, when's the next game? You know, it's just, it always gives me something to look forward to. Uh, it gets me through tough times, um, gives me something to look forward to. I mean, you know, it's the reason why I enjoy when summer ends because I know fall's beginning and I don't know, I guess the best way I can put it is, man, I just, I'm lucky to be a Buckeye fan. Beautiful. Hey, tell everybody where they can get connected with you guys so they can make sure to to have you ready when you guys pop off and start with uh, season number three of Dotting the Eye. All right. So um, you can definitely check us out on Facebook. We are Dotting the Eye with Davis and Chad. Uh, we like to put some info on there. Um, also, all the links to all of our episodes. But you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, pretty much anything that streams music. Uh, we're posting all of those. Um, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Um, uh, yeah, but you know, we, we, we want more fan interaction. I know that will happen once we start doing more seasons and start, get, uh, start getting some more listeners, but you know, we'd really like to hear back because I know me and Chad, we go about, uh, our thing a different way. You know, some people are a little more, you know, statistical, some people are more organized me and him. We just kind of bark at each other, you know, <laughs> we, and the times that I, we, we find ourselves sometimes getting into that other format of, Hey, we're being structured. And we're like, dude, this isn't us. You know, we got to get back to just, you know, argumentative or whatever. And, you know, we've been best friends for too long that we almost know what each person's going to say. So we probably took each other off enough, you know, on purpose just to get a reaction. But, um, it's a blast. We enjoy what we do. Um, we really look forward to starting uh, the the third season. I would look out for the first episode to probably come sometime in late July, uh, early August, right around. Uh, pardon me, right around when uh, fall camp starts. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there on out, you expect you know episode a week, and you know, uh, just really excited, man. And hopefully, maybe again in the future, looking forward to collaborating with you guys again. Absolutely, man. We look forward to it. I know that. Uh uh, we've, 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 uh, here at the OHL podcast, we've been growing and, and, and consistently, and we've got different podcasts that we're producing. I mean, shoot, I'm dipping my toe in, in YouTube, which is scary, but, uh, anywho, uh, it's been awesome to have you on, uh, Davis. It's been great catching up with you again, as always, everybody be kind to one another. I owe someone's OH and sing Carmen, Ohio with all your heart. And until next time, Davis, OH, I owe go bucks. Oh, come, let's sing, oh, highest praise and songs through armor while our hearts rebounding thrill. And joy which death alone can still. Summer's heat or winter's cold. 
The seasons pass, the years will roll. Time and change will surely show how firm thy friendship. Ohio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.